I've been thinking about getting an electric car, but it's so expensive. And what happens if I can't find a charger station? That last one is big. It's called range anxiety. What if I pull off to a charger station and it's broken? That's happened to 60% of drivers who use public chargers, according to a survey by the California Air Resources Board. 60%, that's a lot. Here's why this is a problem for all of us, not just current electric vehicle shoppers like me. Electrifying transportation is crucial to reach net zero. And broken chargers that might leave us stranded, well, that's holding us back big time. We've never really deployed smart devices publicly before in such a very large scale. And so when we look towards the future of like having smart cities and having more connected cities and even autonomous vehicles, some of these issues that we're seeing from EV charging stations is going to help us be better prepared for those things. This problem is why entrepreneur Camille C. Terry is making such a big splash. She's solving this problem and helping to level the green jobs playing field at the same time. Three years ago, Camille and Yvette Ellis founded Charger Help, one of the first companies that repairs broken charging stations fast. Their success rests upon their ability to train a new EV workforce, not just for Charger Help, but for the whole field. Since January 2020, Camille and Yvette, both Black women, have raised a lot of money and won some very big name customers, including most recently, Tesla. This is Degrees, real talk about planet-saving careers from Environmental Defense Fund. I'm your host, Yesh pavlik Slink. For the better part of the last decade, it's been my job to help students use their talent and passion to get experience and jobs that serve the planet. I am so excited to bring you my conversation with Camille Terry. To set the stage, I'm going to let her show you why you don't understand what charging stations actually do and why that matters. She says most people, including electric car drivers, think chargers are giant electrical outlets. I did too, but they're not. They're like really complex computers, right? When we talk about smart charging, network charging, each of these charging stations have certain protocols in regards to like knowing who you are as a driver. They're smart devices that we've deployed all over, literally everywhere. And with that comes, you know, new complexities. But when companies first started building charger stations, it wasn't clear who would be in charge of repairing them. And with the Biden administration spending more than $7 billion to roll out charging stations nationwide, we'd better fix that problem fast. Enter Camille and Yvette. Charger Help partners with EV companies to fix their charging stations. It's not easy. When a charger station breaks, it could be an electrical issue or a software glitch, a downed cell network, or a wasp nest. We had a a company recently that had us go out to a site because they said the station was broken. When we got on site, we tested the station with our car and the station worked. But we kept getting deployed out to this one location because they kept getting um, reports. So my technicians, who are like brilliant, 
and it's actually my New York tech, so shout out to Jerry. He was like, you know what? I'm going to check to see if I can get more information on the people that are reporting these issues. Come to find out, the car that was being reported all of the time with these different drivers was only one specific type of car. This instance, this was a Ford Maquis. And so we're like, oh, and we've seen this happen before where if a car gets a certain firmware update and it can sometimes stop it from properly working with a certain station. So it's like, is the station broken? Like, kind of not really. You know, it's just new types of problems. It's literally like, oh, we had to do some investigative work. This one specific car isn't working on this one specific station due to software. <laughs> well, and you're making me think it's it's complicated because maybe there's a mechanical issue. Maybe there's a software issue. We have all these different car manufacturers, all of these different charging station manufacturers who are all working together, but not together. That's fascinating. One thing that I'll say is that we have a cool opportunity now to just One, make sure the drivers don't get to a space where they're about to run out of electric fuel. And on the other end, it's like, how do we make sure the stations never break, right? And that's what Charger Help is doing by gathering like really cool data to ensure that these stations never break down. So you don't even have to have that experience. Camille is an unlikely candidate to start this company. In a former life, she was a banker. A banker with a brain for solving complex problems. She learned how to troubleshoot charging stations when she took a job with an electric vehicle software company called EV Connect. Imagine, it's 2017. You're driving your Chevy Bolt. You're on your way to drop off your pup at doggy daycare before work, and your battery is low. You have an app that tells you where the nearest station is, but when you get there, it's broken. Your dog is in the backseat barking. It's really hot out. And you're going to be late for work. Ugh. Then you see a 1-800 number on the charger station. So you dial and you hear... Hi. (laughs) Camille. I started off as driver support. So literally when drivers are stranded, like I was the person they got to yell at. So I got to, you know, receive their energy, allow them to unburden their frustrations. And I was there for them. And I was like, we're going to figure this out. I mean, people have range anxiety already. And then two, you know, typically what we saw is that the stations will present themselves as online. So this person who may be at the end of, you know, having fuel, right, essentially, gets to somewhere that they thought they were going to be able to get fuel. And in actuality, the station just isn't working. So it's like a different level of like panic and like rightfully so. Like, and the other thing is early on, a lot of the early EV adopters, like car manufacturers weren't really even telling them how to charge their car. So sometimes I would just get a call from a frantic person being like, I don't know if my car is charging and I'll go on Reddit and I'm like, let me look up what the BMW i3 or whatever it looks like when it's charging. I'm like, do you see the three dots? And they're like, yeah, I see the three dots. So <laughs> it was like people being stranded and also just people just not knowing what to do, period. Sometimes she tried to get her company's electricians to fix the software problems. The issues weren't electrical. So I would, you know, reach out to my electricians. I'm like, hey, can you take like a laptop, a Cat5 connector? And can you like upload this code on this charging station? And my electricians were just like, girl, no, like (laughs) that's not what we're paid to do. And so I saw like, okay, there's this like very interesting problem. I'm not really finding the right people. At one point we're like, do we just call the geek squad? It's like, would you call an electrician to fix your computer? No, but who else is there to call? 
To Camille, it seemed EV makers hadn't thought about the chargers having issues. I think as an industry, we're like, they're smart devices. Like, they're going to tell us when it's broken. And like, they're not going to break. Like, why would we need money for that? They're just going to work. And so that kind of like hit me. And so I was like, oh, man, like, it would be crazy if I could teach people how to do this. So Camille started writing down all the problems she was seeing and how to fix them. Ultimately, she was promoted to director of programs in the customer service department at EV Connect. But starting her own business? That was a whole other matter. Hey, listeners, greening your career is exciting, but it can also feel overwhelming. Where do you start? If I've learned anything from my degrees guests, it's this. Just take a single step. Do one thing. Need ideas for your one thing? Every episode of Degrees offers brilliant ways to take action on your green career, no matter the field, from renewable energy to religion, agriculture to activism. Listen to all of our previous episodes on your favorite podcast app today. Yes, here, talking with Camille Terry, co-founder of Charger Help. Camille's road to the world of electric vehicles was accidental. She had a good job at a bank in Philadelphia until her family needed her back in South Central LA. So my mom's always had cancer since I was like 10 or 11. I'm so sorry. And it would go in and out and in and out. Yeah, and then she got really sick, so I had to leave Philadelphia to come back to LA. And then... When I got to EV Connect, I was literally just looking for a job. Like, <laughs> there's like some people there, like, we call them like, you know, like tree huggers, like die hard. And like, I just never had been taught anything about the environment. So I was just like, I just need to supplement some income. My mom was tired of me staring at her and just taking her to doctor's appointments. <laughs> She's like, get She's out like, of here. I understand you're here to help, but like, <laughs> go do something. I'm like, okay. So I really didn't know, you know, I'm from South Central Los Angeles and I had no idea how the environment was impacting, you know, people in my community. Even with my mom, like, there were so many people in my community that had cancer, you know, and now the school that she worked at, it was a lot of teachers there and they think there was some type of environmental stuff. There, almost like 20 different teachers got cancer, you know. And so I think when I got to EV Connect and just started to really look at just like, yo, like these cars are killing us. And like, disproportionately people in my community and like nobody's really talking about it. It gave me an outlet to be like, okay, well, I'm going to try to do something positive. And then also incorporate more people because there were so many people in my community that really didn't know anything about how the environment was impacting them. My co-founder, both her parents passed away from, you know, lung disease stuff. And so the more people I could like show like, hey, we can be a part in a positive way. And then also like bring light to how this thing is like impacting us. I think it was like the healthiest thing for me to do during that time period. And to see my mom, you know, see her be able to watch me build something. She passed last year in June, but she was able to like see me build a company, see me like teach people about this stuff. And that just made me feel really good. I'm so sorry about your mom, but I'm so glad that she got to watch you build this thing and turn something in her life that was really sad and really unfair and unjust into something really positive. Family is important to Camille. When deciding to leave EV Connect and start Charger Help, she had a role model. Well, kind of, in her dad. 
I've actually read that your dad was also an entrepreneur. Was he a big influence or inspiration as you started this business? It's kind of, I always say it's the opposite. My dad's like, watch my dad build a business. I was like, I'm never going to build a company. Oh, no. (laughs) Because it's hard. Like, you know, we say it when times are good, it's good. When it's bad, it's it's pretty horrible, you know? I think that my dad was an inspiration in the sake that he was like, I have three brothers. I'm the only girl, but I'm the oldest. And my dad never put like my gender as like a thing that would stop me. My dad was always like, you're a Terry. You could do whatever you want. My dad was like, you know, you shoot for the moon because even if you don't make it to the moon, at least you'll land on the mountain. My brothers and I would laugh all the time. We're like, okay, dad. But he was very much so of this mindset that like, there is no excuse for for you not achieving what you want to achieve. It's just dependent upon how hard and smart you want to work. But like, you just got to go. You know, that's how we were brought up. It's not just her family that inspired her to start a company. Growing up in South Central LA, she was surrounded by entrepreneurs. Where I come from, like having a small business or what we call a side hustle or whatever, like entrepreneurship is very natural for us, whether you go and be a barber or like a beautician or even like as a handy person, you know, or you sell like at the food cart. So even as a kid, like selling stuff out of your backpack, like finding ways to make income is very natural for folks in my community. So I think that like doing the leap wasn't hard. Scaling it? That's another story. Camille started her new company simply. She wrote a training program. I just started to write down just like, how do you fix the station? Like, what are things that you need to look for? Like, what are some of the issues? And then the LA Clean Tech Incubator, (laughs) crazy enough, bought a license to my curriculum. I said, okay, (laughs) we're off to something here. That was cool. But a curriculum alone wouldn't solve this problem, especially across the whole country. Camille would need workers, hundreds or thousands of really good ones, and money. To get funding, she would encounter one requirement she hadn't thought of. The LA Clean Tech Incubator, known as Lacey, inspired Camille to apply for funding from a global clean tech organization called Elemental Accelerator. The hitch? To apply, Camille would need to find a co-founder. At Lacey, people kept advising Camille to talk with a woman named Yvette Ellis. Somebody was like, oh, you should talk to Yvette. So I was like, Yvette, like, we had just met. (laughs) And I was like, girl, like, I need to put your name down. And I was like, you could be my co-founder on paper. Because mind you, I didn't know anything about, like, startups for real, for real. Like, I need a co-founder. Let me just put your name down. I was like, I already quit my job. So you don't really have to quit your job. Just do it for a year with me. Like, at first she was like, no. (laughs) Uh-oh. Yeah. And that's very, like, practical. She's also, like, 10 years older than me. So she always thinks I'm, like, some crazy millennial, which I'm like, that's fine. And then she ended up, like, thinking about it, talking about it with her husband. And she came back to me and said, yeah. But, like, I'm very much so, like, a like a faith-type person, you know? And I just feel like that was, like, such a God moment for us because, like, I didn't even know, like, the extent of her work with workforce development. Yvette's work background would be key to Charger Help success. More on that later. I try not to think about it because it makes me very emotional because it's like, that's crazy. Like when stuff like that aligns in your life, you're just like, wow. That's why I can't really have no regrets about this. Like I'm so privileged and like so lucky, you know, that is, is, is ridiculous. <laughs> I am so moved by that. You say you're holding back tears. I'm full blown. <laughs> so. 
I mean, I don't think I've had doubt that it wouldn't work. More so what I think about a lot is like the saying, for who much is given, much is required. Charger Hope has been very privileged to have a lot of opportunity and be put in like really like great places. And I always just think about like, how do I make sure that I can keep showing up to properly do it? There would be the challenge of scaling the company. And that would mean finding investors. If the idea of starting a business came naturally to Camille, raising millions didn't come naturally to her or Yvette. I think a lot of times what we don't, from my experience, like we don't necessarily know about raising capital or about a cap table or about like investors. I remember when I told my co-founder we was going to raise money and she was like, we're going to have to pay this back. I said, girl, 2.75 million? No, we didn't have to <laughs> no. pay that back. <laughs> I mean, like, we're going to make money so we could, it's an investment, but like, it's not, no, we don't got to pay it back. But just like stuff like that, we don't know that part. But like starting something, being resourceful, being tactful, you know, those are things that are just like how you grow up. I just had to ask Camille about raising those millions of dollars to get Charger help off the ground. Becoming an entrepreneur, as you've mentioned, it's not easy. Some days are up, some days are down. And you've had to hustle and get millions in funding. And Charger Help is a Black and women-owned business, and that's still unfortunately rare in the entrepreneur space. And it's especially difficult for entrepreneurs of color to get funding, or they're just not as well represented. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your journey to get funding. When we first went out to raise, it was during the George Floyd movement. And it was interesting because, you know, you got a lot of interest because one, they're like, oh, two black girls, like fixing charger stations. Like what y'all know about charger stations? So you just had a lot of people that were like checking a box, you know, that they just wanted to have a conversation with you because they like, you're just like this weird thing that they want to check out. So it was interesting because we had to navigate a different set of waters where it's like, okay, like you're fascinated with me being black. Thank you. But like, do you know anything about charging stations like our software? Have you built a company before? Can you write a check this quarter? So it forced us to really narrow it down with investors. So like, that's another thing where it's like, I feel very privileged. I know it's not like that for every black female owned company. And it also like, how do I show as a good example that once you got past me being a Black woman, at the end of the day, like, I'm a phenomenal CEO and I build dope companies. And, like, you should also look for that in other Black female CEOs and know that that's a thing. So, like, that's when I talk about that pressure of, like, not failing. It's so real because I know that we were lucky, like, to, to be so honest. Like, we were lucky that people took a call with us and that they decided to invest in us because like it doesn't happen all the time and we're not unique. Like there's very capable black female founders out there. We were just really lucky. And so for us, we look for, you know, investors that one, yes, want to make money, but also understand that our actions, whether we think you're saving money or taking a shortcut here actually has a cost. Like, and do you understand that? Cause I think that as a nation, if we don't start thinking about things in that way, we will continue to think that like, oh, these multi-billion dollar companies that pay workers $10 is good and, and that's good business. It's not. It's not. Because guess who, you know, folks having to take care of folks that don't make a lot of money, it falls back on to the community and it doesn't allow for a sustainable human race, right? When we don't treat people well. 
So we try to think of those things in a holistic way and then have investors that understand that and honor that and help us figure out how do we build a great company from that viewpoint. In March 2021, a handful of organizations invested almost $3 million in Charger Help. They valued the company at more than $8 million. Camille says they expect to be fixing Charger stations in all 50 states by the end of this year. But none of this would have been possible without the linchpin to their entire company, a deliberate and diverse workforce development program. If you're looking for a green job, you may feel like the number of job seekers vastly outnumbers job openings. The picture is far more complicated, but the truth is the need for green workers of all kinds is growing so fast. In 2021, less than 1% of hiring involved green jobs, according to the LinkedIn 2022 Green Skills Report. But in five years, the report said there will be more demand for green workers than exist. Yeah, there's always been talk of reskilling coal miners and oil rig workers to build and maintain wind turbines and solar farms. But so far, reskilling the workforce, well, it's been more talk than action. It's an issue that Camille and her co-founder, Yvette, take personally. To expand, they would need to find and keep a workforce that would have to be at the heart of their company. Luckily, Yvette worked for the Department of Labor for 11 years. She would apply her expertise to the problem. And in a short time, ChargerHelp would partner with career centers and technical colleges to find people ready to work and eager to learn new clean tech skills. The top qualities they hire for? Quick thinking and unflappability. When I thought about like fixing stations, because it's, it's not just like, oh, you go swap out a connector. Like it's problem solving, right? And it's problem solving with a little bit of information and a little bit of resources. And so when I think about people that are naturally good at these things, right? Like I think about folks from maybe communities and markets that haven't been tapped into before. She thought back to all those people in South Central LA who instilled her with an entrepreneurial spirit. All those folks with side hustles. Hey, there is an untapped workforce that are naturally good at problem solving. And then in that same breath, we're like, people have to be a part of this green revolution, whatever we're doing. You know, people have to feel a part of it. We can't bring solutions to people. They have to feel a part of it. And I think like, that's how you drive change. And we see it in our technicians today. Like we had a set of technicians that immediately bought electric vehicles, knew nothing about electric vehicles before they started working for us. We gave them a good paying job and some information and they took the choice to go buy an electric vehicle. Like that's a big deal to me. Getting people involved is absolutely crucial. Can you take me through the day of one of your technicians? Yeah, I'll, I'm going to send this to Jerry. Jerry's going to be so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> so we love, like, Jerry, he's from New York, and he's, like, Brooklyn all the way. Like, And then he was the one that actually figured out that issue with the charging station that was working, even though it kept getting reported. So he was part of our first cohort. Uh, we went to recruit 20 people. We had 1,600 people apply for this spot. Wow. 
I know that's all my co-founder, bless her heart. He used to work um, on the scooters when the scooters were broken or whatever, he would go fix the scooters. And so for Jerry, because he covers a large portion of New York, the day before he'll get like whatever work orders he have to do. So how do we put on our thinking caps and how do we break down where this failure might be happening in this like ecosystem of like data exchange? So that's kind of his world where it's like, yeah, he might be working with his hands in one aspect, but in another aspect, he might be having to like really deeply problem solve some software issues and then getting that data back into our platform. So that way our system is like learning faster, faster. So we see this issue again, we can, you know, suggest a resolution faster. So that's kind of the day, like, you know, and it's cool for some people that like, like to work with their hands, but also like to be technical. And we're finding out that there's a lot of workers out there like that. For instance, they hire former oil rig workers because they get how important safety is. They also hire people from the cable TV industry because they're really great at talking with upset customers. And Camille says they hire people who love working with their hands, but who have virtually no experience. Remember when Camille first started thinking that there had to be a way to solve the charger station problem? Well, she created a curriculum. And Camille may be a CEO now, but in her heart, she's a natural trainer. We have a subset of technicians that like my number one tech young lady heaven out of California. And she's uh heaven is probably like 23, 24. She wanted to play basketball overseas. I think she ended up like tearing her ACL before she got recruited to go out and was just at home. And her, I think it was her aunt or her grandma saw Yvette and I on TV about recruiting. They was just like, you need to go do this. Heaven is like our number one California tech. And like shout out to my other California techs, but like Heaven really is. And Heaven has no experience like whatsoever. And she's actually, you know, looking at becoming a trainer to train other technicians. But she just really likes being out in the field. She likes the complexity of problems that she sees and just kind of like having a little bit of ownership over your time, you know? So yes, we have people that are like heavily skilled that we're reskilling, but then we also have people that are just like, I like using my hands and I like solving problems and I like driving around. And I'm like, oh. You can work here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the team. (laughs) Welcome to the team. Camille and Yvette think a lot about who gets to participate in the green workforce and how they should be treated. We have a level of excellence at Charger Hope. And because it's always been so competitive to, you know, be a part of the team, what it looks like for us is really getting creative on how do you, you know, scale a workforce across the United States in two quarters, right? And how do you do that through partnership? And how do you do that with the equity lens? So like to us, like equity, like how we pay our workers, how we move, how we do business deals. To me, it's like, this is how you do good business. And so like, for instance, when you saw certain things happen to companies that weren't paying workers well, if you if we were able to actually calculate how that impacted their revenue growth, like would they actually be as profitable as they are? So when I talk about revenue growth, we don't take into thought like, oh, maybe I'm saving money by being, you know, not a great employer right now. But like in the long run, like there is a cost to that. Like I think there is a cost to not paying people well, whether it's directly to the growth of your company or to society as a whole. Of course, they want to keep technicians as long as possible. But they also understand as people gain more skills and experience, they may want a new challenge. Camille considers this a success. 
as a business owner, like it's hard because like that's retention. And I'm like, oh, I got to go find somebody else. But like in that same breath, you know, folk wasn't looking at the same people, you know, that I went out and like <laughs> through a workforce development center and got, you know what I mean? The same people. And we just highlighted things that they were good at. And now they're being marketable. That's really cool. It sucks as a business owner in the moment because you're like, damn it, that was expensive. But now we have to just rethink about like, how do we measure retention? Like these are folks that, you know, are able to purchase a home now, right? Are able to do these things that they never thought they could have done before and are exposed to an industry. Like, how cool is that? I love that. They're truly building a green workforce, not only for charger help, but for the larger clean tech economy. Camille encourages anyone looking to get a job in EVs or any other planet-saving career to simply learn how to manage projects. I don't think that we have a hyper-focus on project managers the way that we need to. Like, we're building infrastructure. Like, the fact that we're just not understanding why charging stations are broken is a big issue. And I think that if we had stronger project managers and if we were looking at the full deployment, not just getting stuff in the ground, but like the full deployment, we wouldn't be where we're at today. And now we're playing catch up and having to undo a lot of stuff. So I tell everybody, get your project management certification. It's going to make you dangerous out here. And that's what we're going to need for the future. Companies like ChargerHelp give me so much hope. They're scaling and it's exactly what we need. And now like, every time I go check, we got checks from people. And I was like, people are really paying us to do stuff. <laughs> like, like <laughs> this yes. blows my mind, though. <laughs> I'm like, because it was so long, you know, where we were just like really just hustling, trying to get contracts here and there. And now we have like a lot of contracts and like people pay us all the time. I was like, this is wild. Like the city of Seattle just sent me a check. Literally blows my mind. It's so awesome to me that Charger Help has such a holistic look at entrepreneurship. I feel like if more businesses had this mindset, we wouldn't be in this dumpster fire that we're in with the climate crisis. But running a rapidly growing business like this is a lot of pressure. I think Charger Help is going to be very successful. How we get to that success and how do we stand by our values is just, that's going to be the part that like, I just don't ever want to forget, you know, and I don't ever want to disappoint people or let people down. And so I think about that a lot. I always say just like, don't screw it up, Camille. That's all you got to do. <laughs> just don't screw it up. Like, so I'm always thinking about ways like not to mess it up. <laughs> She's got hundreds of people counting on her, investors who need returns, not to mention creating a blueprint for scaling a green tech workforce. I wondered how she handles it all. You said at the beginning that right now this moment for you is pure insanity. What keeps you up at night? I mean, to be honest, nothing is really keeping me up at night. I think that once when my mom passed away, I think when you have somebody that's really close to you pass away, like it just puts so many things in perspective. And at the end of the day, like if Charger Hope fails tomorrow, like we still did something pretty freaking cool. To this date, we've trained over 500 people across the United States and communities that like knew nothing about EV charging. Like I've raised a lot of money past that 2.75 million. I was able to identify a real problem. So like, I just try to keep those things in perspective. I mean, I think there's so much opportunity to create solutions right now. And there's a lot of incubators and accelerators and there's a lot of money out there. I think like that was one thing I never really understood. Like the idea that there's just like so much capital out there. There is a lot of opportunity for good, sound business ideals. And I would say just like take a bet on yourself. 
you know, if you can, because the money is out there. People are out there that want to help. You know, it's going to be hard work, but we need more solutions. And so I just like to encourage people to not get stopped at thinking that this is impossible. It's not impossible. You know, you can do it. it's time for Ask Yesh, where I help you with your biggest green career challenges. I want your questions. Write to me on Twitter at Yesh Says with the hashtag Ask Yesh. I caught up with one of our Climate Corps fellows right after her fellowship a few weeks ago. She's finishing up her grad degree and is fielding offers from two companies. Both jobs are sustainability focused, but there are companies that have two completely different cultures when it comes to climate change. One has sustainability baked into the company ethos. It's a shared value across the business and the role would be driving the company to meet their ambitious net zero goals. Wow, chef's kiss. The other has newly begun their sustainability journey. I'm talking low-hanging fruit like LED upgrades in the warehouse. The role would have a lot of opportunity to make big impact, but she was anticipating that much of her role would also include making the case for going green to her colleagues and to leadership constantly. The offers are about the same money-wise, and both roles are remote. What it boils down to for this job seeker is the anticipated emotional experience. Do I want to go somewhere and work with people who, quote, get it? Or do I want to go somewhere where I'm charged with changing hearts and minds? In the end, I encouraged her to work for the company just getting started on their journey. Yes, there will probably be more conflict in her day-to-day. And yes, she'll likely need to spend more time than she'd like bringing people along. But the planet needs people who are willing to meet folks where they are, get them on board, and tackle big challenges. I also shared a piece of wisdom I recently heard from a colleague, and that's to think of each job as a tour of duty. It doesn't have to be your whole career. You can change as your skills and your life stage change. What's important is to get in there and do as much as you can. The planet needs you. And that's it for this episode. Make sure you follow Degrees to catch the rest of this season where we'll educate, entertain, and energize you for the fight ahead. And of course, tell you where to find the jobs that are growing and how to get them. On the next episode of Degrees, we look at fixing our unsustainable food system with one of the nation's preeminent food policy journalists, Helena Bademiller-Evich. She's an award-winning reporter who spent nine years covering food for Politico. Now she writes Food Fix, a newsletter avidly read by everyone from White House staffers to Jose Andres. Until then, check out our Green Jobs Hub. We've gathered all the resources you need to jumpstart your green job career search. Degrees is presented by Environmental Defense Fund. Amy Morse is our producer. Podcast Allies is our production company. Tressa Versteg, Elaine Grant, Matthew Simonson, and Rye Taylor worked on this episode. Special thanks to Elise Rooks. Our music is Shame, Shame, Shame from my favorite band, Lake Street Dive. And I'm your host, Yash Pavlik Slank. But the foundation of the show 
dear listener, is you. Stay fired up, y'all. Change is coming, oh yeah. Ain't no holding it back. Ain't no running. Change is coming, oh yeah. But then I had a white Cadillac, a Tudor white Cadillac, and I called her old Betsy. Like my dad would literally go to junkyards and like find cars for us. And then, like, fix them. So, like, I've had the array of cars. Yeah, I used to call her Old Betsy. She was great. (laughs) 